from the True Dharma Eye Collection, Jin King's Buddha Dharma at the New Year. The main case. Jin King Daofu was asked by a monk, is there Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the year? Jin King said, yes. The monk said, what is the Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the year? Jin King said, the beginning of the year is auspicious. The myriad things are all new. The monk said, thank you for your answer. And Jin King said, I lost virtue today. Later, another monk asked Zen master Ming Zhao, is there Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the new year? Ming Zhao said, no. The monk said, every year is a good year. Every day is a good day. How is it not in the new year? Ming Zhao said, when old man Zhang drinks wine, old man Li gets drunk. The monk said, old, old, big, big, a dragon head, a snake tail. Ming Zhao said, I lost virtue today. Commentary. Since both monks asked, is there Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the new year? Why does Jinking said yes and Ming Zhao said no? If you go to the words and phrases to see into this, you will never get it. If, however, you are free of mind and objects and have attained complete liberation, you will certainly have a life apart from yes and no. Tell me, what is life apart of yes and no? Before the new year, the cold moon illuminates the endless mountain. After the new year, the sweet fragrance of apple blossoms fill the valley. On New Year's Day itself, there is no before or after, just the vast and boundless sky, free of all hindrance. It is from here that both masters answer. If I had been there when the monk said, thank you for your answer, I would have hit him with my stick and said, now I have gained virtue. When the other monk said, a dragon head, a snake tail, I would have driven him out with a shout and said, now I have gained virtue. The capping verse. One raises up, the other pushes it down. In their loss of virtue, both are completely free. Happy New Year to all of us. You know, during the holiday period, over the holidays, we, Myogen and I <clears throat> took the advantage of the break, the time off of the quiet, and devoted much needed time to house maintenance, spackling, painting, plumbing, other repairs. And as we were doing that, I was thinking about maintenance, about this kind of work, in terms of wholesome Dharma teachings, or how regular upkeep offer us wonderful, wholesome Dharma teachings. And how is it usually seen by us as a 
a chore or a burden rather than a guide. Maintenance is a wonderful teacher of impermanence. Right? It shows us that regardless of how sturdy and solid things may be, or how solid we build them, essentially, everything has the nature, or is of the nature, to deteriorate and fall apart. And regardless of how much effort we put into preservation, it will still disintegrate. It also teaches us that although things do fall apart, everything falls apart, we can still express deep appreciation by engaging in caring. There is still that possibility, that option, knowing very well that everything falls apart. Whether it's our body, our house, a job, a relationship, our families, people we love, people we don't love, right? all of it falls apart. And we are clearly aware of it. Obviously, it's indisputable. And we're offered the choice to get bogged down by it or to care deeply. And the difference between the two lies in how we understand impermanence and in the way in which we engage it. The invaluable law of impermanence means that within the endless cycle of cause and effect, there is continuous disintegration and continuous renewal. In fact, without disintegration, there is no renewal. Without renewal, there is no disintegration. Right? Two aspects of one reality. No decay, no growth. No growth, no decay. And the tendency, our tendency is to lament the decay or try to hold on to the growth. But by doing so, we avoid engaging the fullness of reality or avoid appreciating life as it is. And we miss precious opportunity to be fully alive. Time swiftly passes by because everything disintegrates. There is nothing we can do about that. There's nothing we need to do about it. How do we meet disintegration? And I think that entering a new year offers us such an opportunity. Right? On one level, it is meaningless since constancy has no beginning and no end. But on another level, a new year, first day, at first, is a great reminder of the way life constantly renews itself. A reminder to shed the extras we have been accumulating and enter the new without holding on to the stale, without holding on to what was. 
It's a practice. Unfortunately, it doesn't come easy to us. We actually have to stop and look and examine the way we usually meet opportunities, new opportunities. And how much all do we bring into the new? Or how do we see the new? If at all. And this koan, this is uh, the teacher, the main teacher that is Jin King, 9th century Chinese Zen master, disciple of uh, Zhe Feng. And this koan, the monk asked him, is the Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the year? And Jin King said, yes. And the monk says, well, what is the Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the year? And Jin King says, the beginning of the year is auspicious. The myriad things are all new. And the monk is asking about the entry point to realizing the Buddha Dharma. And Jinking is saying that the beginning of the year is a great opportunity for awakening to the freshness of reality, to what is brand new, has never, ever been this way. So one is asking about the Buddha Dharma and the other one is saying, yeah, it's a great entry point to the freshness of reality. Are they referring to the same thing? You know, once Zen Master Dao went to visit uh, Master Shitu and asked him, what is the fundamental meaning of the Buddha Dharma? And Shitu said, not to attain, not to know. Dao said, is there some turning point in going beyond or not? And Shitu said, the vast sky does not hinder the white clouds from flying. What is the Buddha Dharma? Not attaining, not knowing. As in the title of Suzuki's book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Not attaining, not knowing. Back to the beginning, over and over and over again. What do we know? What do we do with what we know? I mentioned that to Shojin last week from Suzuki that says that in the beginner's mind there are many possibilities and the expert's mind there are few. And Shoji said, you're only expert in the past. Do you remember that? And he's a scientist. His work is to investigate. We're only expert in the past, right? We only know what we need to discard of. Right? What do we know about this? What do we know about stepping into a fresh new experience. What do we do with what we know? Right? Now, practice is a process of embodying anything we practice, right? We practice, practice, practice. We take on the information. We take on the guidance, the details. And then we swallow them whole. We take them in. And then we forget them. 
Because if you hold on to them, they become a hindrance. They actually prevent us from practicing what it is that we are trying to learn. So we learn and forget. Learn and forget, as in the words of O-sensei. You learn the techniques and you forget them. Because if you don't forget them, they get in your way. When you need to practice, you can't. When you need to move, you're tied up by what you know. Or by what you think you know. Or by the one who is holding on to what is known. So to learn and to let go and to open up and embrace brand new. So all the old patterns, all the stale that is playing in the background, of course it keeps playing in the background, it's not, it doesn't go anywhere, but it doesn't hinder the fresh and the new. Although there's definitely a sense of being chained by the old. Or, un, or not being able to see the fresh and the new because of the voices in the head. But judgments happens often, common. Does it really prevent us is the question. You know, the mind that does not know is the same as the sky that does not hinder the white clouds from flying. That's the mind that does not know. It does not know how to hinder because it doesn't know. It is the mind that is not concerned when concern is born. It is the mind that can realize and see old patterns, judgments, heavy thoughts, and yet allow them to float in the vast and empty sky. It's the mind that sees beyond while being aware of every detail of what's happening. The mind that knows when thoughts arise and vanish to not get caught up, to not follow. <clears throat> or when we experience stormy emotions, to allow that to be as well. Not tweak, not change, not reject, and not follow. It is the mind of bearing witness to everything without judgments, distinctions, discriminations. When all things are realized as coming and going within the vast and empty sky, where do we find the hindrances? In other words, in order to define something as a hindrance, where do we need to go? Right? How much do we need to contract from the vast and empty sky into the tiny aspect of the experience we're having or the one who's having the experience 
Right? And then, in there, in that, limit ourselves. And the experience does feel limited when we do that. No, we chant, no path, no wisdom, and no gain. No gain. Thus, Bodhisattva live Prajna Paramita, with no hindrance in mind. No hindrance, therefore, no fear. Far beyond all such delusion, Nirvana is already here. No hindrance in mind. Where do you find the hindrance? And realizing and cultivating this mind is actually the heart of our practice. Right? So what we cultivate during Zazen is we work through the fear of pushing the conceptual boundaries further and further. You know, it's actually, it's, for quite a while, it can be a terrifying experience to sit and feel as if we are losing the boundaries of the self. And I remember many times, you know, when I, when I started to, to sit, many times experiencing this sense of no ground or groundless being, nothing to step on, no solid place to put my foot. And it will be so terrifying that I will look for something to think about. Just not to experience this. And it would happen over and over and over again. And it, and it took a long time to, little by little, get comfortable in space. Because essentially, that's what it feels like, floating in space having nothing to hold on to, nothing to stand on, not knowing who we are. How could it not be terrifying, right? Of course it is terrifying. So the analogy of stepping out of the house, coming back in, stepping out, going down to the porch maybe, going down three, four steps down to the backyard, running back inside, closing the doors, closing the windows, and then stepping further and further, going to the, the gate, going to the fence, going beyond the fence, little by little to a point of looking back and not seeing the house anymore. Not seeing you anymore. Not knowing. But not as a thought, as an experience. I really don't know, and it's okay. And the freedom of not knowing, of course, comes with the freedom of not needing to defend anything. If I don't know, what will I be defending? Who will I be defending? What do I need to protect? What am I upset about? What's really bothering me? Want to push the boundaries, to go beyond the comfort we 
derived from what we know, what we imagine, what we think, or from our emotional interpretations. Also means to go beyond the boundaries of clock time, how we perceive time. We're accustomed to seeing ourselves as entities moving along a timeline with segments of hours, days, months, years, as if we travel within time. But are we open to the possibility that this may be just an optical illusion? Maybe, just maybe, what I see as me and what I see as time are not two. Maybe they only seem separated. In a fascicle titled Uji, Being Time, Dogen wrote about time in relation to the two most fundamental teachings of Buddhism, anatta, which means no fixed self, and anika, which means impermanence. He said, since we human beings are continually arranging the bits and pieces of what we experience in order to fashion a whole universe, we must take care to look upon this welter of living beings and physical objects as sometime things, sometime things. Things do not go about hindering each other's existence any more than moments of time get in each other's way. As a consequence, the intention to train the rising of bodhicitta arises at the same time in different beings, and this same intention may also arise at different times. And the same applies to training and practice, as well as to realizing the way. In a similar manner, we are continually arranging bits and pieces of what we experience in order to fashion them into what we call a self which we treat as myself. This is the same as the principle of we ourselves are just for the time. So take a moment to look around and consider whether there is any form of being that is any world that does not or does not, oh sorry, that does or does not find expression at this very moment of time. Is there anything, anything that you can think of that is not being continually expressed in different ways? Is, is there anything that is disconnected from anything else? At any given moment, we call it one o'clock, we call it two o'clock, but what is it? We say we begin Zazen at eight. We have to say it, because otherwise nobody's going to show up, right? We show up at different times. So we do have to use this. But where is 8 o'clock and where is the one who is beginning something at 8? And what's the difference between these two? What is 8? And what is the one who perceives 8 as the beginning of something? So we have to go beyond the conceptual usage of or the 
the usage of time, right, as something that we, we can maybe call it upaya, right, because it is useful, we have to do it. But we have to go beyond I am beginning zazen at eight, or I have to be at work at nine. What if I'm late? What if I'm early? What if? Right? The worries come from putting something extra there. But is it possible that is continual with no beginning and no end? And is it possible that if time is continuous and I am time, I am also continuous with no beginning and no end? And it says, the phrase for the time being, for the time being, implies that time in its totality is what existence is, and that existence in all its occurrences is what time is. And because it is a time, its time will have a wondrous luminosity, a point that we will be studying and learning about during the present 24 hours. And because it is time, it will be one with and the same as the present 24 hours of the day. One with and the same as the 24 hours of the day. So while we treat them as segments, we have to go beyond segmentation. While we see ourselves as having to be at work at nine, we have to see ourselves beyond the one who is arriving to work at nine. Which means there's nothing to discard. We don't have to pretend that there's no usage or need for 24 hours or for counting the hours. But what he's saying is that we are not traveling within time since we are time itself. How can it travel within itself? How does the eye see itself? How does the ear see itself? Or hear itself? How does the knife cut itself? How many ways to say that? And it's radical. It's radical as, as, a, as an experience. Because it goes, it, goes against, it goes against everything that we can imagine. Everything we grew up with. Everything we were taught. How do we use time in a way that does not hinder us? A monk was asked Joshua, <clears throat> how can I practice 24 hours a day? And Joshua said, do not be used by the 24 hours of the day. How do I practice all the time? Do not let time use you. Use time, but do not be used by time. Use time as upaya. Right? It's skillful. It makes sense. Use it. But don't get trapped by it. 
don't see that as moving from one point to another and you have to be there as it moves. It moves in all directions, all at once. From past to future, to fu from future to past, from right to left, from left to right, up, down, all directions. Because it includes everything. Because everything is interconnected. When we create 24 segments, call it a day, right? or 12 months, call it a year, and then a separate existence that needs to function in these segments, we can very quickly become slaves of time and feel as if we are running out of it. So we fluctuate between wanting to hold on to what feels good, or good times, and to speed through and discard what feels like rough times. As long as we don't realize time and being as one, time sometimes feels like an ally or sometimes like a foe, depending on circumstances. But in either case, how time feels has to do with how I see myself or whether I see myself as separated from So to not be used by the 24 hours of the day, as Joshua says, would mean to merge and ride the continuum rather than create an idea of separate entity that is moving through it. To see it and to experience it as a continuous flow, no beginning, no end. So back to Uji. Dogen says, time has the virtue of continuity. It continuously flows from the today, from what we call today, or we're talking about as tomorrow. So from today to tomorrow, from today to yesterday, from yesterday to today. And it flows from today to today and from tomorrow to tomorrow. You get the point. Because continual, continuous flow is a function of time. Past and present time do not pile up atop each other, nor do they form an accumulative line. Now just think about this in terms of, I mean, understanding that or embodying that in terms of how we see each other, how we see circumstances. Right? This has been happening for five years. I've had enough of that. I don't want this anymore. I've had enough. I've had enough comes from something has, or things have been piling up one on top of another. And I want to discard that. But where does it pile up? Or where do I have to go? Where does my attention have to go in order to come up with a statement that says, it's a lot. What does it mean, it's a lot? Where does it, what is the ground that allows it to be piled up? If it is vast and empty sky, what do we do with that? 
right? Just to say vast and empty sky, just to realize and recognize that we are functioning within the vast and empty sky takes care of everything, everything that worries us right now, gone. Not gone in terms of experience, but gone in terms of accumulation. Right? Because there's plenty of space for everything. And there's plenty of space for everything to coexist without bumping into one another. And so then he says, so do not be upset over what is not and do not be pressured by what is. Do not be upset over what is not and do not be pressured by what is. In other words, total freedom. The Buddha Dharma or as we may say, the teachings of anatta, no fixed self, and anika, impermanence, are clearly seen at any given moment. We don't need the beginning of the year to see that. But the beginning of a year can be an auspicious occasion to realize it, as Jinking said to the monk. So the monk heard that and said, thank you for your answer. And Jinking said, I lost virtue today. Why would he say that? Right? The answer was truthful. And the monk's appreciation seems genuine. What is the error? Later, another monk asked Zen Master Ming Zhao, is the Buddha Dalma at the beginning of the year? Ming Zhao said no. And the monk said, every year is a good year. Every day is a good day. How is it not in the new year? And Ming Zhao said, when old man Zhang drinks wine, old man Li gets drunk. The monk replied by saying, old, old, big, big, a dragon head, a snake tail. And Ming Zhao said, I lost virtue today. So both Jing King and Ming Zhao expressed the same answer, the same way to conclude short dialogue. I lost virtue today. Jing King is expressing the absolute from the relative realm. Ming Zhao is expressing the relative from the absolute realm. But form is emptiness and emptiness is form. So to say that there is Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the new year is correct. And to say that there is no Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the year is also correct. So why did they both say they lost virtue by giving the correct answer? It is correct. But to bring it up is to be thousands and thousands of miles away from it. As we say, gouging a wound in a healthy flesh, raising waves when there is no wind. This is what is called falling into the secondary. 
To ask about it is to be already far away from it. Conceptually, experientially, at that moment. Not that it's not available. It's just that the attention goes somewhere else. The attention goes to asking a question and waiting for an answer and then pondering the answer and then asking another question or maybe saying thank you. And all that happens within the vast and empty sky but the attention contracts to a conversation rather than to an experience. Gouging a wound in a healthy flash. That's what that is. Now the amazing thing about what Dogen is saying or what the teachings are saying is that we are here for a brief moment and that is true and we are here for eternity and that is also true. Because a brief moment is eternity and eternity is expressed and experienced in this brief moment of our lifetime. So what can we hold on to? What do we need to hold on to? Now, Jin King was a disciple of Jie Feng, and once Jie Feng, while he was still studying with him, Jie Feng said in a talk, so majestic, so subtle. And Jin King came forward and said, well, what is it that's so majestic and so subtle? And Jie Feng said, what? What? Right? Missed the point. What is it? What? Come again? It's a wonderful answer. A wonderful way to deal with it. Go back. Go back. Look again. But I can't see it. Okay. Enter from there. Enter from I cannot see. Dogen commented on this exchange, on the exchange in this koan, and said that he disagrees with both teachers. He says, although Jinking and Ming Zhao speak of one loss, they do not yet see one gain. Suppose somebody were to ask me, is there Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the year or not? I would say there is. Suppose the monk who is asking a question would ask, what is the Buddha Dharma at the beginning of the new year? I would say to this person, may each and every body, whether staying still or standing up, have 10,000 blessings. Suppose the monk said, in that case, in accordance with this saying, I will practice. Then I would say to him or her, today I have, an, I have advantage after advantage. Now please practice. Advantage after advantage, every moment, grand opportunity to appreciate life as it is. 
to have the advantage, to have the opportunity to take it all in, to see interconnectedness of all things, and to see that this is the only moment of being able to experience it. And it's fresh and it's new, and it never happened before. When the Dalai Lama actually said, there are only two days in the year that nothing can be done. One is called yesterday and the other is called tomorrow. And he said, so today is the right day to love, believe, do, and mostly live. There are two days in a year that you cannot do anything. But what he's saying is that if you want to do something yesterday and you want to do something tomorrow, do it now. Do it now. Because yesterday and tomorrow are conceptual. So let's enter this new year with Dogen's great saying, great wish. May each and every body, whether staying still or standing up, have 10,000 blessings. 